So I want to share a word with you this morning. I was just praying on Wednesday and talking to the Lord just about Easter. Now, every Easter, same as Christmas, same as Ascension Day, same as Pentecost, I go to the Bible and I do I try and do the theology of it all. Do you know what I'm saying? So not that what I'm going to say this morning is not theology. But I go into the verses and I teach hard on it. But last year, I just backed off a little bit and I said to the Lord, okay, what do you want to say about the resurrection? And then the Lord started to speak to me about the practical application of the resurrection should give us power in our lives. That we're not helpless victims of what has happened to us, of our past, the tyranny of emotions and hurts and things like that, but that resurrection life should be something that is part of us. So I'm guessing that's where it came from, because on Wednesday when I started to pray, and I said, Lord, it's Easter Friday. I've got some really good messages I can go to. It's going to save me a lot of time. But I just didn't feel to go that direction, and uh, the Lord just began to speak to me about the crucifixion in a different way. And so I'm going to say some things before I get to what I want to say. But if I don't say those things first, then what I've got to say is not going to have that much significance and meaning. Is that okay? So I need to do the prelude, the preamble, to get us into a place where I can share this with you, what really the Lord strongly impressed on my heart. So We all know that the crucifixion of Jesus is extremely significant. It's not only significant in world history, but it's significant in our personal history. He died so that we can live. So he came, and it involved the crucifixion, it involved the burial, it involved the resurrection from the dead, it involved his ascension, it involved his glorification and ascension afterwards, it involved the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, It involved his continuing ministry as our high priest ever living to intercede for us. All of that is so vital and so necessary. So Romans 6.23, the apostle Paul says this, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And it's a quality of life that the apostle Paul is talking about. It's a quality of life. And God wants us to have quality of life, beginning when we get born again, continuing into eternity, whatever that looks like. Is that okay? So that's if we check out of here and we go and be with the Lord, or He comes back first and He's here with us, but we will continue to live eternally. But there's a quality of life here on, the, the, on earth that needs to be part of the abundant life that Jesus spoke about. You know, life and life more abundantly. And so that abundant life is not just something spiritual. It's not just something inside of us. It should exude and wash through all of my emotions. It should influence my mind, and it should influence my attitudes, and it should be life and life abundantly. And the reality is that so many Christians, and possibly all of us, myself included, live below par Christian lives. And so we need to ask ourselves the reason for that. So Peter says this in 1 Peter 3, 18 to 22, but I've just got verse 18. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. 
And there's a thing about it, and I want to get too sidetracked. I've got to keep my track and my point. But the fact is that he died in the flesh but was made alive by the Spirit. And so Jesus, when he was resurrected, was in a different state of existence, if I can put it that way, than before he died. And if our identification with him in crucifixion is that we were, and that's what's represented in our baptism, that we died with him so that we can be planted, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, into the likeness of his resurrection. It means then that after I gave my life to Jesus, I should be experiencing a different existence. Can I have a good amen on that? that? That's the Bible. You can you know, argue facts with me and whatever, but let's just go to the Bible, you know? So we don't go by our experience. We bring our experience up to the level of the Word. This is what the Word teaches us. So it's no wonder that the Apostle Paul says, when he was preaching to the Corinthians, he said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And Paul says, this is it. This is where I make my stand. This is where I stand my ground. There's no compromise on this. I only want to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And there's a very good reason for that. So he says in similar words in Galatians 6.14, he says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to these words. By whom... That's Jesus and his work on the cross. By whom, he says, the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. So notice that the Apostle Paul says that the world is crucified to me and I am crucified to the world. So there's a double crucifixion that he's talking about. Basically, we're saying is not only am I dead to the world, but as far as the world is concerned, it's dead to me. And there should be a reality, church, where things that were in our past that still affect us, we should be dead to them. So there should be things that are in our past that should be past us. So the whole wonderful work of the cross of Jesus, the cross makes a difference. There's a, an ancient legend that says this, and I've been saying it from the beginning of the service. The cross on which Jesus Christ was crucified was set at the center of the world, and so it was historically and spiritually, and it should be in our lives. Isn't it amazing that we can accept the forgiveness of sins? We can. We can accept the fact that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. We can accept the fact from the teaching of the Scriptures that we participate in the divine nature of God, that we are in union with Him, that we were co-died, co-buried, co-raised, or resurrected, co-raised. We are co-seated with Him in the heavenly realms. We co-rule and we co-reign. We all can accept that. But what does that look like in practicality? What does that look like in ordinary life? How does it look in your and my life? We know the Scriptures. What is the reality? And how is it working out in our lives? You know, and I know that there's a lot of these things that we go through, a lot of things in life that still stick with us and still mar us and, and resurrect their heads every now and then. Things like a sense of rejection. There are things like, and I'm not trying to preach a psychology message, I'm trying to get to the point that, you know, so it might sound like psychology, but it's not. Is that okay? 
And I'll leave that to the psychologist. But there are all kinds of complexities in us because of our upbringing, some overt, some subtle, some um, tragic, some, you know, less tragic, that have affected our lives. And we are the sum total of those things. You know, theologians say one of the aspects of God is that God is simple. But that's not true of human beings. Human beings are complicated. Human beings are complex. Husbands, just, you know, think of... Okay? I know they think it's this way, but we know God is a man. He's male, right? So, no, I'm just teasing. But we're complex, and we've got complexions. There are things that rise up. Isn't it amazing? You know, you think you you know, really are a mature believer until something happens. And then you react, and you think, my goodness, where did that come from? You know? Yeah, I had it this week where I was just really glad there was no ACF members around (laughs) because I was extremely irritated with someone on the road driving on his cell phone, 20 k's an hour in a place where I couldn't overtake until after just, you know, he pulled over and and he got the, the John Wasserman glare and sign language. Like, why are you talking on the cell phone? Yeah, 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 you thought. I know. Unsanctified imaginations, yeah. I was going, what are you doing on the cell phone? Just pull off the road. You know, for kilometers I'm following the guy. And then afterwards I'm thinking, Lord Jesus, that is not abundant life. Abundant life is get out and clap him. (laughs) No, I'm joking. I'm joking. (laughs) I'm joking, you know. I'm not serious. But that's the kind of issues I'm talking about when things come up and they are still there, church. So how has the cross of Jesus impacted on that? How? We need to deal with them. So, And listen, you know, there is progress. I'm not saying there's no progress. There is progress in my life, you know, because there would have been a day I might have got into a boxing match. I might have got beaten, but I would have just felt better afterwards <laughs> because I'd made a point, you know. But there's progress in our lives, and there's progress in your life. But for me, you know, there are times when I look at the Word, and I look at Jesus. I look at what God accomplished. I look at myself, and I look around the church in general, and I say, Lord, we've still got such a long way to go. Before we step into the full stature, the full measure, the perfect man that Paul talks about, the image of maturity that is Jesus, the fullness of love, um, I think, Lord, yeah, we got, you know, I sometimes get a little bit disappointed, you know, I'd be like, yeah, it's not quick enough, it's not fast enough, you know, I sometimes disappoint myself, I'm glad God doesn't get disappointed, yeah, but when we think about it, could it be our insecurities, our esteem issues, our fears, when the Bible talks about our hearts, and there should have been a heart change, there's a double meaning for heart, first of all, it's our minds, And secondly, it's that center of our being in which we find it's the seat of our desires, our emotions, our feelings, our affections, our passions, our impulses. That is also the heart. The heart of us is the very center of our beings. It includes both. You know, to try and teach on heart, soul, and mind is a very difficult thing in the Bible because 
you can understand it because we are complicated. <laughs> you know, God is simple. He's spirit. We know we're spirit, soul, and body. And I mean, and that, you know, makes a whole lot of difference, you know, to our nature. So what about the things that are deep-seated? What about the things that are still resident? What about the things that influence us and affect us? And if those were dealt with progressively quicker being dealt with, I think we'd be further along. So how does the cross touch my rejection? How does it touch my abandonment, my loneliness, my shame? How does it touch our bondages? How does the cross of Jesus affect the resulted fears and angers that arise in us because of feelings of insecurity? A lot of anger is fear-based because we feel insecure and we fear rejection. But he died so that I can live. I can really live like him. I died in his death, and I live in his life. So how does that make a difference? So I just wanted to just very quickly talk about, it really is amazing that people in our lives, I mean, we all have people in our lives, and they all stand at different places, different, they're in proximity to us in in different um, levels of importance, if I can put it that way. Yep. They have different levels of influence. Yes. So the people in China don't affect you at all because they're far away. The people in South Africa affect you because they're closer. Your family stands even closer, work colleagues, parents even closer. So there's a proximity of relationship that gives those people power in your life. And that power is called influence. And they can have a, an incredible influence on your life. So just think about growing up, you know, your parents. And, uh, you know, our parents love us, but they were fallen. And if they in some way were not complete in their love for us, it passes on to us. And the same complexes they have, we have, because it's passed on. It's um, environmental genetics almost in a sense. And we pick up on their behaviors, on their values, and we start to live it out ourselves. And we become almost carbon copies. That's where they talk about generational curses. It's not a generational curse. It's learned behavior. And it's responding to the way that you were raised. Come on, church. And it's nobody's fault. You know what I'm saying? You know, because nobody's perfect. That's why Jesus came. He came even for parents that didn't, you know, have it all together when they raised us. You know, so insecurities can come, and those people have power in our lives because they're close to us. They influence us. Is everybody getting that? Now, that can be a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing. So this person that is the closest to me, that is the most influential, that has the most power in my life, has the ability to extremely hurt me and to wound me because of the proximity of the relationship. And you know, the interesting thing is that the word love has got a lot to play with this. It's connected because the more you love the person, the more you've opened your heart and life, and they then, you know, that individual or those people, uh, parents, bosses, whatever, stand in a place where they can seriously, seriously damage if they are standing in godliness, they have the potential to seriously bless you. 
and set something in place. Now, all of us have experienced the negative side. So praise God for the positives. Amen? Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today. But, but people of power in our lives, um, you know, it's those who have that great measure of influence. It's incredible when you start looking at children growing up. It doesn't only happen to children. It happens in your adult life as well. But children growing up, if there is immaturity in the parents, it, it's incredible the effect that it can have on the children. It's just incredible. You know, you can be present in the home as a father and a mother. You can be present, physically present. But if emotionally, mentally, you're not present with your children, you can communicate rejection as much, sometimes more, than if you were to get up and walk out and leave. Because it's a continuous thing. And so continuously, children are being subjected to absenteeism in their parents. Okay, so this is not a psychology lesson. I'm just trying to put us somewhere. Is that okay? I don't want you all to start crying now. Okay. But there's an absenteeism. And as a pastor, I could be absentee pastor and not love you and be you know, concerned for you. So if we phone you, it's not the church police phoning. It's not we after your tithes. We care about you. Then your tithes. I'm teasing. But we care about you. And so there's all of these things that complicate our lives, and they just leave marks in our hearts that seem to surface every now and then, but it has a direct impact on what Jesus did for us on the cross. Is everybody following me? So in our adult lives, of course, you know, there can be the loss of a husband or a wife, you know, to divorce, to death, to whatever, and those things can also affect us. And, and there's amazing, a number of people I've dealt with who've experienced deaths in the family, multiple deaths, the thing they fear and they start to adjust their lives and compensate is fearing losing another loved one. And they don't commit their hearts. They get all kinds of complexes. And because they're living with this continuous fear, they don't want to commit their hearts to love other family members for fear. This will be another person that I love that I will lose. So there's all kinds of things that affect us. It's really, it's amazing. Jesus experienced all of those things. Because after rejection comes a sense of abandonment. And um, abandonment, hmm, you know, gives rise to a whole lot of other things, all kinds of insecurities. You know, the amazing thing is, if you look at the life of Jesus, the three and a half years of his ministry, and particularly the Passion Week, you will see how Jesus experienced everything we experienced. He was rejected by people of great influence, the leaders, the religious leaders, those who were supposed to care, those who were supposed to love, those who were supposed to model the image of God, absolutely rejected him, flat, outright rejected him. And, you know, they even called him the prince of devils, Beelzebub. You know, this was the perfect, righteous, holy son of God. They insulted him right up even to when he's dying on the cross. You know, they're mocking him and taunting him. He went through all of those things. He experienced it from his disciples, those whom he loved. The Bible tells us that even John, 
the beloved apostle used to lean against and put his head on the chest of Jesus. Even he fled when the crucifixion happened. They all fled. They all left him. They left him alone. They abandoned him. That's why in the Gospels, it's a verse, and it's quoted from the Old Testament, I was wounded in the house of my friends. Listen, church, the greatest betrayal comes from those who are closest to you when they betray you. You know, if somebody out there betrays you, it's not so bad because it's like... But when it's somebody here, when it's somebody who is in your heart, that betrayal really stings. That hurts. And so Jesus went through betrayal. You know, he was rejected. The Bible tells us that. Isaiah 54. He was rejected. He was despised. He was not esteemed. So here comes this perfect man who's also God, preaching this most incredible message of reconciliation to God, bringing the way of salvation and doing it all for love. And the very people that he's doing it for despise him and despise his message. You know, it's one thing when you've done something wrong and someone's got attitude against you. But it's another thing when you're not doing anything wrong, when you're just trying to help them and then they're snotty with you. That's when you want this not to fly. <laughs> really. Because, you know, I'm loving you. I'm helping you. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for you. And then they, hoi attitude. Then you want hoi attitude back. You know, but Jesus had all of those things happen to him. But the thing is, Jesus had something that I, and this is the point of the message that I'm going to get to now. Jesus had something that we need to have. Is that okay? And that's going to be the point of the message. So he had something that we really, really need to have. And so, but let me just proceed. So he experienced all of those things from a whole lot of people, but he never ended up with a wounded soul or a wounded heart. So he had something. Listen to Matthew 27, 45 to 46. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Three hours of pitch black darkness. You know, it became prophetic and symbolic of the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And it was symbolic of the fact that the light of the world was snuffed out, if I can put it that way. And so that physical darkness shows us prophetically as well the kind of darkness that Jesus experienced for our sakes. You know, you hear of, you know, statements like the dark night of the soul and things like that. And the deeper the woundedness, the greater the darkness. I was watching Bev, and I understand Lisa likes as well. I don't know who else likes it, but, you know, the, the crime channel. I can only watch so much crime channel because then I'm going like, yeah, this is depressing. This is bad. This is like looking into a sewage pit. You know, I can watch a little bit and it's like, it's too much for me. But there's a serial killer. Bear was watching. It's a serial killer. He was rejected by the neighbor. And he became one of Britain's biggest serial killers. Stalking women and shooting them with a crossbow. And then dismembering them and even eating them. I mean, I mean, because of rejection. 
Come on, church. You know, it has the potential to seriously hurt, but Jesus never, never, was never wounded, though he was rejected. Never hurt. Never needed to walk around and say to somebody, to the Pharisees, I just wanted to let you know you hurt me and I'm offended. He just walked in something that we need to walk in. So the crosses are healing. I'm getting there. So uh, this is not about the crucifixion, but it reflects the point of the crucifixion. Luke 4, 18 and 19. We're going to read it in the King James translation. Are you all following me? Okay, it sounds like psychology at the moment, but we're getting to a place. So Jesus said this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Listen to this. That's good, man. To preach good news to the poor. And listen, church, you're rich now. You're kings now, Paul said to the Corinthians. But without him, we are poor in spirit. Because of the effects of sin and the effects of a fallen world, he says to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. It's amazing how wounds and hurts, low self-esteem can imprison you, put you in a bondage. You know, unforgiven sin, that's amazing. And he says, freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Just on that, but let me just mention that there were three sort of categories of illness that you see often Jesus healing. The blind, the deaf, and the lame. Every now and then it's the mute and the lepers, but those three in particular, because that again was prophetic and symbolic of the whole ministry of Jesus. I've come to give you back your sight. Amen? And the deaf as well. I've come to give you back your hearing. The lame, I've come to give you back your walk back. And it became symbolic of what happens to us when we accept Jesus. We see, for the first time, we see where we were. You know, what we thought was life, we see is, is not life. We see the truth of the word. We see the truth of life abundantly. And suddenly our ear is open to a new voice. It's the voice of God, not the voice of the devil. It's not the voice of our conscience. It's not the voice of our circumstances. And then, of course, we can walk, we can live. And those three become prophetic. And so when he says recovery of sight to the blind, Jesus came to open our eyes to a different life, a different way of life, to life and life more abundantly. And then last of all, he says, and to release the oppressed. And then he goes on to say, let me just read this. He says, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Everybody say the brokenhearted. This is the King James. To proclaim deliverance to the captives, a new sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who have been crushed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So he came to heal our sins and our woundedness and our sickness. So the brokenhearted basically means that that center of our being was fragmented and fractured. It was not whole. Deliverance to the captives, the imprisonment, the blind I've already mentioned, to set at liberty those that have been crushed. And very many people live lives that are apparently whole, but they're crushed, they're broken somewhere, you know. And so, you know, they have a crushed spirit. But Jesus came to deal with all of those things. It's amazing. So he dealt with our rejection because Ephesians 1, 6, the King James Bible says that he makes us acceptable in the Beloved. He so accepted us that he joined himself to us. He so accepted us that he married us. 
with all of our baggage, with all of our woundedness. He embraced us so entirely. He says, I know you're hurting. I know you're broken, but I will take you. You know, we give Bible advice to young couples getting married. We say, listen, young man, go home and see how that woman, you know, this girl that you want to marry, how she treats her mother, because that's the way she'll treat you. You know, we give all kinds of advice. You know, young lady, go home. And basically what we warn against, don't marry them because they're too wounded, which is good advice, you know, because otherwise they're going to carry that into. But Jesus came, you know, he came specifically. and He said they're broken, they're messed up, they are wrecks. But he joined himself to us and he took himself and he's turning us into a beautiful bride without spot, wrinkle or blemish. Amen. But it needs to happen a little quicker. So it's something that needs to heal us. Is that okay? But why doesn't it? Why do we still walk around with those feelings? All right. He was abandoned and forsaken. So he turns around to us and he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I won't abandon you. To the disciples, when he was saying, listen, I'm going. Jesus had become something to them. The something that I'm going to mention now. And it was the something that he had, which I'm going to mention in a few minutes. Jesus was something. He became something to them. And here they are. And, you know, they had three amazing years together. They witnessed Jesus put those religious leaders in their place and embarrass them. They witnessed demons coming out. The most outstanding miracles happening. I mean, they were riding the crest of the wave, you know. And they were the guys that were with this guy. You know the t-shirt? I'm with this guy. They were the guys. I'm with this guy. So they were the in dudes, you know? There were a lot of people that tried to get close to Jesus, but they just, you know, couldn't because of the size of the crowd. But they were the inner circle. And now Jesus turns around and says, hey, guys, I'm going. Okay, that's fine. You're going, but we're coming with you. No, where I'm going, you can't go. And so this overwhelming sense of abandonment obviously affected them because Jesus turned around and then he says to them, I will not leave you as orphans. See, orphans are abandoned. And Jesus, the whole purpose, he was on the cross. And when darkness came over the land, and when he cried out and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He entered into the experience of abandonment that we feel in our, you know, sort of inner basic nature because of our separation from God. He entered into that. God hadn't forsaken him. But he felt what we felt. God has never forsaken us. Even when you were not saved, God knew about you. Is that okay? But somewhere along the line, the cross needs to have an impact on all of those things. But Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. Come on, church. I know there's times when we feel like that. But, you know, the Bible tells us that Jesus died on the cross to all intents and purposes naked. They took his robe off and the Roman soldiers were casting lots for it. So he experienced our shame. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, the Bible is, it's a psychological book. It doesn't matter how you look at it. Because after Adam and Eve had sinned, and God came looking for them, they were afraid and they hid. Fear is a base emotion in every human being. I was afraid, so I hid. But who told you? And why did they hid? They said, because we were naked and we felt ashamed. It's one of the reasons why God clothes us with his righteousness. 
in the Bible, the robes of righteousness that he clothes us with is salvation. It's like those long garments, long priestly robes. And he's saying, I'm completely covering your nakedness. Because without God, we are naked. And your sense of shame. Come on, this is, you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. We do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed upon. You know, so all of those things. So the cross is healing, not just, you know, for our minds so that we can quote some verses, but it's really healing for us in our being. So I'm going to just, our loneliness, I'll always be with you, etc., etc., etc. But let me just take you to Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. Read it in the NIV. We won't read it all, but we will read some of it. You will follow me? Will you just watch on the screen and just follow me? So Mark chapter 5, it's also in Luke chapter 8 as well, but we'll just read Mark's gospel. So listen to this. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, I want you to listen to the story, and I want you to use your sanctified imaginations, okay? When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure or unclean spirit came from the tombs to meet him. For a long time, I'm putting this in, this is from Luke's gospel, chapter 8 and verse 27. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes. So he ran around naked. Or lived in a house. He was abandoned. But lived in the tombs, in a place of death. Imprisoned. This man lived in the tombs. Now we're picking up Mark's gospel again. And no one could bind him even more not even with a chain. Now, I've been in countries in Africa, and I've been in areas here in South Africa where people are brought to men and women of God to be prayed for, and they've completely lost their minds, and they're demonized, and they're tied up with blow draught and wire, and even in chains, because they run berserk, there is something so tragic about it. There's something that is, when you look at this human being and see them in this state and how demeaning it is, how uh, their dignity has been robbed and they're tied up with wire or, you know, chained and brought in. I was with Pastor Robert one year and a young man had been brought by his family members to him. And they said, he's insane, he's lost his head, and we can't control him. And Pastor Robert took him in, and he just, they said, you, you have to keep him tied up because he'll run. And so, but he just changed the wire and stuff for something softer and kinder. And he had to keep him locked in a room. But what Pastor Robert did was he went in every day and took him food. And every single day, for several days, he would just stand there and pray. Pray in tongues, laying his hand on, praying, commanding these spirits to leave, commanding sanity to come back. And I was with him in the week where he was able then to untie this boy, this young teenager, about 15, 16 years of age, bring him out. And um, he had marks all around here, welts, um, scars from the blow drop, the wire around. And there he was sitting and he was talking and there was a normality about him and he was eating and he didn't want to run away anymore because he had been delivered. Yeah. And this is the kind of man that we're talking about. In Legion. And it's a tragic story. It's just extremely tragic. What happened to this man? Listen, the enemy preys on woundedness. Not only sin, but woundedness. Somebody that's given over to excessive fear or excessive anger attracts demonic attention. 
And, you know, the enemy will apply an influence to that area of their lives. So the man lived in tunes, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, because he had supernatural strength. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. I remember Benny Hinn one day talking about in his early days in the ministry, and um, he said this young lady came forward for prayer. And she was standing at the stage, and he went up to pray for her. And then suddenly there was this demonic manifestation. And the elders and whoever, you know, his helpers there tried to grab her, but she threw him off. And she was a tiny little lady, threw them off like they were nothing. And she turned around onto the stage. She was standing, the stage was up here. And she turned around and she grabbed the leg of the baby grand piano and picked up the whole baby grand (laughs) with one hand. You know, so... So they are so taken over that they have supernatural strength. We don't glorify demons. We cast them out. It doesn't matter how strong they are. So that girl was wonderfully delivered. Okay, so this is the kind of situation. But to get to that place, there must be some serious pain inside. Night and day among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Such self-loathing, self-hatred. When he saw Jesus from a distance. Come on, church. You know, people talk about territorial spirits and all of these kinds of things, you know, in the days when I used to teach spiritual warfare and all that kind of thing. And yeah, there are territorial demons and territorial spirits, but Jesus won all the territory. (laughs) Amen. He's got all authority. And so have we. And it's just really interesting to me that wherever he was, he was not within eyesight or earshot of Jesus. But when Jesus got out of that boat and his foot touched the soil, something of the authority and the power of God ricocheted through. Territorial spirits became terrorized spirits. Because from a distance, this man knew Help has just arrived. And he comes running, and he falls on his knees in front of him. And you know the rest of the story. I won't go into that. How Jesus then began to speak to the demons and command them to come out. When Jesus asked them, he said, I'm legion for we are many. And that's where this man gets his name. His real name was not legion. It was a legion of demons. And uh, they say that a legion is anywhere up to 6,000. You know, Roman legion was 6,000. So possibly this man had 6,000 demons in him. You know, but that's not the point. The point is somebody with more than 6 million volts of Holy Ghost power touched him. That's the point, you know. Uh, There's not enough electricity in South Africa to compare to the power in Jesus, you know. I mean, he could even raise himself from the dead, you know. I mean, what? I mean, sometimes the devil's so stupid. He's so blind. You know, (laughs) he takes his victim straight running to Jesus. But anyway, and falls on his knees in front of Jesus, and then Jesus commands the the demons to come out. You know the story. But I want you to look at verse 15. I'm getting to the point. I'm going to make the point quickly. Is that right? So here it goes. So in verse 15, when the townspeople came because they lost their pigs, because the demons went into the pigs, the pigs ran over. Not even pigs want demons. Not even pigs. So they would rather commit suicide 
then have demons inside of them. Okay, so they go off the cliff into the sea, they drown. Townspeople have lost their livelihood, so they come to Jesus, and here they see this man, this man that they had dealt with, this man that they had rejected, this man that was the outcast, this man that they tried to bind, this man that was a blight on their society, that would attack them, coming running out of the tombs. And they see this man, listen to this, who had been possessed by a legion of demons, sitting there at the feet of Jesus. Luke says, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Because he found someone and he received something from this person. Sitting there, dressed. He was naked. He's dressed. He was out of his mind. He was broken hearted. But look at this. He's in his right mind. It's just incredible how Jesus could speak words to this man and engage with this man however he did. The Bible just tells us he told the demons to leave. But there was obviously an inrush of power, an inrush of the Spirit after that, that completely, in seconds, transformed this man entirely. Something medicine will not do, something shock treatment will not do, Something that psychologists will not do even if they had centuries to deal with this person. But within seconds, Jesus changes this man totally. And he's healed. So, what did he discover? So, he discovered this thing that Jesus had. And here's the solution to, I would say, our walk with God. This is where... The cross of Jesus needs to become something that's more than we know about even theologically, but something that we know experientially. So Jesus had someone in his life that was more significant than everything he went through. So this is what the Lord spoke to me on Wednesday when I was talking to the Lord and I was saying, Lord, practically, practically the cross Practically what Jesus did on the cross. How does it impact my life practically? And in an instant, I felt like God spoke to me and he said, Jesus needs to become the most significant person in your life. You see, somebody who's got significance in your life is a person that you give significance to, that you bring close to you and you give power in your life because that person then suddenly becomes extremely important. Why could Jesus handle rejection and it didn't affect him? Because the Father, he knew the Father would never reject him. The Father would never leave him nor forsake him. The Father was the most significant person in his life. And so Legion came to a place, and that's why he's now sitting at the feet of Jesus. But what happened to him? And in a moment, he's touched, and suddenly Jesus becomes the most significant person in his life. And they find Jesus. They find him sitting at the feet of Jesus, sitting at the feet of the one who's the most significant. It talks about a submission of his life to this person. And then he's clothed, and he's in his right mind. Church, I really believe that what will speed up our growth path our trajectory in God and in our Christian walk 
is the place of significance that Jesus has in our lives. Is he an add-on? Is he an attachment? Is he something we do on Sundays? Or is he a vital part of our lives? Does what he says go? Does what he feel matters? So we need to get to know him. It's, it's really amazing. And there's a whole theological thing about this. But when John the Baptist meets Jesus, basically, he says, he must increase and I must decrease. And there is a sense in which our self-importance needs to decrease against the importance of Jesus in our lives. Amen. Come on, church. Because if he's got complete significance in our lives, let me tell you, the healing of the cross will become so natural, become so much part of our lives, because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you as orphans. He said, you know, I love you with an eternal love. So God has said all of these things. Jesus has said all of these things. How much of an impact does that on our life? See, if the person is not significant in your life, they can say those things and they don't touch you. But if the person is significant in your life, that means everything to you. Is that okay? It's like a couple on their wedding day when they're standing there and they make their vows and their commitments. You know, I will be, you will be mine alone for the rest of our lives. I'll give myself to you. We make this commitment. And there's a, a security that's released in that not only just the ceremony, but in the life afterwards, it's a security that's released because it's like, this person loves me. This person is committed to me for the rest of my life. And that brings about a security because it's like, with my faults, with my weakness, this person will just keep loving me. And that's what Jesus did. And that's incredibly healing to us, church. Amen? And so we need to get to know him. I'm just going to mention these points quickly and then I'm going to stop. So we need to get to know him. Number one, we need to get to know, develop a relationship with Jesus. Are you all listening? Okay, so Philippians 3, 10 to 11. This is what the Apostle Paul said. And I'm reading it in the Amplified Bible because of the extra explanations, because I want to make a point. And Paul says, and this so that I may know him. And then the Amplified Bible puts it in brackets, that I may know him experientially, becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely. Isn't that powerful? It says, my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in the same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers. Woo! This is awesome stuff. Amen? So the resurrected Jesus in us, we should be experiencing continuous healing. But if he's significant to us, if his words are significant, so he says, and that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit, in my spirit, into his likeness. Isn't that awesome? That I'll be transformed in my spirit. How? From the power that comes out from him. Come on, church. We need to be in a place where we know Jesus, that he can heal us. Is that all right? That he can speak, that the life inside of him is transforming us. And the next time the guy's driving slowly in a zone where I can't overtake, 
on his cell phone doing 20 k's an hour and I'm in a hurry and he's all over the road. That other thing doesn't come out. That other John doesn't come out. Yeah. You know, I don't know what other John has left. But anyway, you know, just bless him, gracious, hallelujah. I remember years ago, um, Ray McCauley, he said he used to shout at people on the road. He did, he did, he said, you know, somebody driving badly would drive past and he would shout and say, bless you, may you go to heaven. So we're going to shout, let's shout blessings. So, but it should transform us. It should heal our insecurities. We should not, the church, us as Christians, should not be experiencing low self-esteem, feelings of rejection, because the most important, the most significant person in my life totally accepts me, totally loves me, totally cares for me, is totally with me, has never left me, nor forsaken me, never will, never will reject me. He's not going anywhere. He's with me. But if that's not a reality, we will continue to struggle. So do we believe him and trust him? Do we do what he says? Do we make what he wants and feels a priority in our lives? So last verses. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 49. So listen to what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 49. It says, it says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Yeah. Come on, if he's inside and he's quickening us, the change should be quick or quicker. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. We were all earthly, natural people at one time. But when we accepted Jesus, who is the quickening spirit, he came into our lives, and now he's the heavenly. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image the image. We lived the way. We spoke the language. We felt like the earthy. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Amen? I like what Ralph Waldo Emerson says. He says, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. All because of the cross. Amen? And if Jesus becomes significant, if what he did on the cross is significant, it will transform our lives. Amen? Because his words, his influence, will have power because of his proximity to us. Amen? I just want you to do something very quickly. They're going to come and hand out something, and I want every one of you to take one, and then we're going to just do something. Is that okay? And I want you to get a hold of this... Um, in the middle of the night, the other night, I, this just came to my mind. And I want you to take a nail. And then it's got a card on it. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. And I want you to take each one of you a nail, okay? When you get it, I want you to take the, the nail and hold it because um, it represents what was put through the hands, the feet of Jesus. And um, once you've got it, I want you to maybe just put your finger on it. Just press the points. Press the point of it. And, 
and not to become sort of too soppy emotional. I just want you to feel this and imagine the pain of this going through your wrists or your feet into a cross. The cross was not a smooth cross, it was full of splinters. And you've already been whipped, beaten 39 times, crown of thorns beaten onto your head. And so, just as a point, and I can already hear all the puns after this. Pastor John, you really nailed it in church this morning. It's probably what some of you were thinking. But I want you just to hold it, put your finger on it. And I want you to just now contemplate for a while. Because I want us to apply the message. What would be the point of hearing a message if we're not going to apply it? So, the big thing about the cross, and, and you know, maybe it, there was a point in our lives when it was extremely significant when we first heard the message and we gave our lives to Jesus. Maybe it was over a progressive point, a period of time. But the whole point of the cross is to keep remembering, keep remembering, keep reminding. That's why there's a sense in which we grow on from the cross in our salvation. But there's another point at which we have to stay at the cross because of the huge, huge, huge meaning. So I want you to just bow your heads and hold the nail and just close your eyes. And I want you just to remember the crucifixion of Jesus. Remember what he did for you. Remember the nail marks. Remember the whip. Look at the verse. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. And you know, there's a sense in which we don't even need to tell each other about pain and wounds and rejection and things because we kind of know it ourselves. But he was beaten so that we could be made whole. I want you to begin to thank the Lord for the crucifixion. Start to embrace what he did for you. Begin to thank the Lord that there is healing for your pain. And if you're not living in consciousness of pain, that's fine. But that there is an ability that comes from Him to move past ourselves to a place where we come to the full stature, the full measure, the full man, the full manhood of Jesus Christ, the, the full person of Jesus, the fullness of Christ. Father, we want to thank you this morning as we just meditate, as we reflect. We're just holding something tangible that reminds us of the cross of Jesus. We thank you for it. Maybe there's an area that you are aware of where you are extremely vulnerable. Maybe you sense a bit of insecurity there or you're aware of it. God has been putting his finger on it as you holding the nail and meditating on the cross. Why don't you just embrace healing for that area? That fear. Make him the most significant person in your life. Maybe you're not aware of anything, but maybe you realize that every now and then there's something that trips you off, makes you a little bit angry. 
fly off the handle almost without cause or reason or even if there is a reason that maybe you're unreasonable in the process. And there's a root, there's a root to that. And just say, Lord, I don't know what this is and why I do that, but would you just heal me? The cross has got to make an impact on us. It has to touch our hearts. It's got to change our soul. It's got to heal us. One conversation with Jesus at the well in Samaria, an outcast woman, a Samaritan, one conversation, experienced five divorces, not married to the sixth man, possible sixth man that she was with, not married to him, because fear of commitment, fear I will be rejected again one conversation she brings the whole village and says come meet a man told me everything and the whole village gets saved because of the power of her testimony she gets healed she gets healed one conversation with Jesus come on our conversations with Jesus should bring healing to us heal the hurts heal the insecurities what I want us to do now is come up and take a piece of bread and then just begin to thank the Lord. This is the second part of just the application. Your body was broken so that we could be made whole. And then I want you to take the cup and drink it and say, because of your shed blood, I could be forgiven of my sins and my weaknesses and my sorrows and everything. And then it's just a follow-on to the nail. But I want you to keep the nail with you. Um, today as much as possible and over the weekend and every now and then pick it up and feel it and just just be reminded of the cross work of Jesus God is touching people God is healing people and I trust on live stream as well that there'll be a measure and element of healing that'll take place within that could be released from things that have crushed you broken heartedness into wholeness, that we can go on in maturity and progress into life in Jesus. Amen. The Lord bless you. May Jesus just continue to become super significant to you, the most meaningful person other than the most meaningful person in your life. May God touch you. May God heal you. Let's go on and grow together in Christ in Jesus' name. Bless you all.